0: You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast UK, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the UK. I'm James Bryce, I help connect businesses with technical talent, and today I'm your host. In today's episode, we'll be discussing cyber insurance. I'm fortunate enough to be joined by a fantastic panel, so let's kick off with some introductions. Lee, do you want to kick us off with a brief introduction, please?
1: Hi James, yes. So my name is Lee Williamson. I'm the CISO here at EIP. We're an InsurTech 100 company uh, and we provide software as a service to large telcos, challenger banks um, and other blue chip customers. But my day day is pretty much managing a team of skilled individuals, uh, keeping the organisation and the customers secure. And then my spare time is taken up with family and a small pack of chihuahuas.
0: <laughs>
2: Keeps you busy, I imagine. Okay, that's
0: great. And Andy, yourself?
2: Hi, Andy Kokalis. I'm the head of information security at UK Biobank. Uh, UK Biobank is a large scale bio- biomedical research resource. Um, we are, we've collected information from about half a million UK residents over a period of about 15 years now. Um, and we, we curate that data and make it available to medical researchers from across the world. Um, so we take data such as uh, lifestyle information, health related information we link to, for example, to primary and secondary care, so hospitals and GPs. Uh, And also, we've recently done quite a big project on DNA sequencing. So we hold a lot of very sensitive uh, personal data about quite a large group of uh, people in the UK. And that's used to enhance medical research from across the world. Um, uh, I've been there for, I think it's nearly a couple of years now. so it's it's a challenging and an interesting environment, I would say. OK, brilliant and finally Vlad.
3: Uh, hi, Um Vladimir Jirasek or Vlad Um uh, I'm founder and CEO of Foresight Cyber. Um, cyber security services, essentially for small, medium and large enterprises in the UK and uh, and outside, you know, West Europe, Middle East. Uh, we essentially provide uh, kind of first advice and then consulting and managed services. So uh, customers hopefully don't need to uh, use their cyber insurance.
0: Okay, great. Now that we're doing the introductions, we'll kick off with the questions. So Lee, your question to the panel was, with insurers getting more claims, premiums again, higher and higher with less and less covers provided. How do you see this progressing over the next 12 to 24 months, bearing in mind all industries are seeing increased attacks in 2022 to 2023? Will cyber insurance become so expensive that small businesses simply can't take the risk uh, versus purchasing it, especially if the coverage doesn't meet the liability of the organisation? So, Lee, if you could provide some context around this question, please.
1: Sure. So I think um, my experience with this um, previously as a a consultant um, and the the kind of past couple of years at EIP, is that you're seeing more and more um, attacks going on in the world. Uh, more and more ransomware, things like this, more and more industries getting hit day in, day out. Um, and you're seeing that the cyber insurance companies are putting premiums up dramatically uh, year on year, while also reducing the, the payouts that they're willing to do. Um, so many organisations I see are, uh, if we talk about things like GDPR fines, things like that, aren't even getting that those kind of coverages anymore from cyber insurance. So it's it's. It's whether or not we're going to see, you know, sort of small medium enterprises get to the stage where the premiums are so high that they're just going to simply take the risk uh, because their liability isn't coming anyway.
0: Okay. Yeah. And Andy.
1: Yeah, I think it's a
2: really interesting question. I think in some ways it's um, showing a, um, I suppose, an improvement in the cybersecurity market. That um, although there are more um, claims. That's probably because more people are taking out um, cyber insurance. So that seems to be maybe a positive in some ways. Um, but on the other hand, it seems that um, particularly uh, SMEs are getting punished for doing it with increased um, premiums, um, with more uh, restrictive um, agreements so that you can claim for less. Um, so I think it's, as a kind of someone who consumes the um Snap insurance, it does make it much more tempting to say, it's just not worth it, um, you know, if we are hit by this, are we going to get any payouts? Are we going to get anything that helps us? Um, or is it worth just, you know, as I think a lot of businesses have done previously, hope for the best. Um, and if we do get uh, a major incident, then we can use that the money that we've saved on the premium, to, to bring in some external resources maybe to have built up a, a maybe a more comprehensive uh, response team um so i think it's i don't know a lot about the insurance other than i suppose from um having been asked about it as the S, as it kind of sma within the um, business so i it, it just seems strange to me that the the increase in claims is leading to a, a situation where it becomes less. Uh, attractive and less of a really opportunity to actually take that insurance out and I don't really understand how the how that is working at the end of the insurers. Okay and Vlad?
3: Yeah so uh, you know I've I've been working with cyber insurance uh, well first time actually about 2007 or 8 when I was working for a Big enterprise, and uh, the the task was essentially to uh, to make sure that he, he that the cyber insurance or at least the cyber cover uh, is is included. Uh, and I remember the cyber insurance company, uh, well, insurance company, uh, sending a, a big Excel sheet with all the questions, um, uh, which which we obviously did have the answers for. Uh, but the outcome out came fairly ridiculous um, premium. And that was, you know, long time ago, essentially. Uh, and, uh, you know, since then, I think the, uh, the the cyber insurance companies or insurance companies in general uh, do have more data uh, around what it actually, you know, what actually cost, uh, you know, and in general, insurance companies work on statistics, as you uh, as you know. So the more data, more incidents, uh, you know, more data about how much they need to pay out and uh, what is involved, I think is improving the, the cybersecurity insurance effectively conditions, but unfortunately also uh, probably does drive the uh, the, the prices up, um, uh, especially, you know, things like business email compromise and uh, and ransomware, you know, and According to statistics, actually, it's the business email compromise, which is the highest uh, financial loss uh, to the companies. The ransomware comes only second. Uh, and I actually looked in my insurance, insurance of my company, and, for example, we would not be covered for the business uh, email compromise uh, deliberately. You know, we chose not to. So these kind of exclusions, uh, you know, are potentially inevitable for uh for the business owners to make uh, make decision, but question is, will they make good decision or not? Uh, and and for some maybe small medium business owners, uh, the decision really might be, uh, I'd, I'd rather spend this ten thousand pounds on product development or customer retention uh, rather than on um, uh, on fully comprehensive uh, all singing dancing uh, cyber insurance.
0: Yeah, all very interesting perspectives. Thank you for that. So next up we have Andy's question, uh, which is how do I retain control of an incident when the cyber insurance agent is involved? So Andy, if you could provide some context for Andy's question,
2: please. Yeah, of course. So this has come out. We were looking at cyber insurance, I think it was late last year, and we went to the broker. We were looking at several different providers, and this was something that came up several times that um, if there were a major incident, that the uh insurance would want to get involved. And in some cases, they had they were stipulating that they wanted to uh, lead the incident response um, to the to the incident, which I think caused quite a lot of consternation within our organization. We have a we have our plan, um, our incident management plan, we have an external organization. Um That we've engaged to support us in any instance and so it created a a real conflict between well we we do want the insurance but if we do have that incident we want to be able to lead that um, using our resources um, and making the best decisions for UK Biobank Uh, because I think there was a a concern that when the insurance gets involved uh, and maybe this is just being too cynical that maybe the the decisions being taken might be for the, what's good for the insurance or the insur- insurer, rather than for the organisation. I'm sure any um, kind of reputable organisation would, would uh, wouldn't be that extreme. But I think it's it, it just creates that I suppose that doubt. And I think going back to what Vlad um, just talked about, I, I wonder whether it's a lack of really understanding about what cyber insurance is, and and whether so organize organizations like mine we don't really understand yet um because it is a relatively new area exactly what we're getting what are the um what the the real life experience is like we're lucky enough that we haven't had a major incident so we've not had to deal with insurers and we just don't really know what to expect uh, and i think when we see clo- clauses such as that can, something that is really maybe possibly in conflict with us it just gives us less uh, I suppose less of a sense of assurance that we're getting something that is going to be helpful to us. Okay, great, Adley.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting um, the points that that Andy made there um, about companies acting in the best interests. Um, now, my experience um, and and having had discussions with several CISOs, Who've seen the same or similar behaviour, and even if it's obviously in the mainstream press, you can find cases of this, whereby, um, call me cynical or not, cyber insurers are offering this fantastic cyber insurance package where you get uh, incident response and you get recovery experts and you get forensics experts all provided as part of that coverage should you have an incident um, at the click of a button on your mobile phone in an application that they provide, but. Um, I have heard of many cases whereby actually, yes, they've come in to help recover, they've helped manage the incidents, they brought forensics in, but in the end of the day, they haven't actually paid out, um, purely because they found faults um, with the company that they are providing insurance for, maybe something as simply as a, a patch has been missed, or um, they haven't, they're not quite up to date on their security training as they might be, um, in the case of a business email compromise, something like that. So I think, yeah, you have to be very careful with these kinds of these policies. And I think the insurers are in in reality trying to protect themselves by being able to to kind of get in into your environment, see what's going on, see how it happened. Um, And I think that the answer is is you have to always do best what's best for your organization, for your team, and maybe try and build in, as you've said, instant handling plans and, and crisis management response, things like that, which work for your company. And try and reduce reduce the risk and reduce the fact that you have to talk to the insurer in the first place, and only really go to the insurer if you have a what we what we would class kind of a major incident um, that you need to be covered for.
0: Okay, go ahead, Vlad.
3: Yeah, so you know this is, this is a really interesting uh, kind of question. I, you know, I'm I'm coming from experience of our cyber insurance, you know, and are insurance with. A typical kind of uh, medium-sized business, uh, you know, in- insurance company that you probably heard of uh, in the UK, and uh, effectively the stipulation is that we must notify them. Okay, and uh, you know that's 24/7. Essentially, if we don't notify them, uh, then you know there's no payout. There is actually a carrot because if we notify them 72 hours after we identify the incident, uh, then there's a waiving of the, uh, uh, what is it, Um, of the fees. And uh, so uh, it's, I think they they try to make it like it's a benefit for the customers, you know, basically giving uh, giving the customers hotline and uh, in our case also some third-party company that uh, is available 24-7 outside of the business hours. to, to help us then also the crisis management. Uh, however, you know, as uh, I, I completely agree, you know, these, these companies, you know, while they me they might be let's say a third party, so not necessarily insurer, uh, they they have contracts with other third parties that are specialising, let's say, in incident management and recovery and uh, negotiations they are working for the insurer not for your business uh so i would be always cautious about sharing too much with them uh, but unfortunately you know <laughs> that's the that's the kind of catch 22 if you, if you don't share if you if you are perceived to be a little bit uh, cagey about giving them maybe the access to the systems and sharing the information email uh you know information about your patch management and and training of the people uh they might say no sorry you are not covered so this is something that where the I believe the insurance companies are uh, basically uh, leading you know they you don't have other, you don't have other choice you know especially for, for small medium companies uh, that they have to either take it or leave it. So a business owner must make a kind of good business decision is this a worth uh, cover um, and perhaps, Ask professionals uh, that that have dealt with uh, with with the cyber breaches how to make sure that the company is effectively prepared, you know, and uh, and the insurers or their agents uh, will not find um, effectively information that will bleed into non-payment, uh, and obviously that would be missed opportunity. Uh, so it. It's a catch twenty two. Uh the terms and conditions are really on the side of insurers. So it's it's a difficult situation to be in. Um uh perhaps for the big companies, you know, where the you know large enterprises footsee one hundred up to let's say FTSE five hundred, they might be in a different position because they may negotiate better terms or special terms. But for small medium companies, yeah, it's it's a tough one.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. So we'll move on to the third uh, third question, which is Vlad's. Uh, So Vlad asks, the changes to TNC of public liability and cyber insurance are tightening availability of the insurance while also adding stricter conditions affecting layout from the policy. However, vague texts and exclusions can be confusing to business owners. What should business owners do to ensure they are correctly insured with a realistic chance of payout in the event of an incident? So Vlad, if you could provide some context around your question, please.
3: Yeah, so this is probably touching on, on already what, what we've discussed, uh, you know, the wording and uh, some some exclusions. But you know, specifically about the exclusions, if if I look at some policies that we you know we have and uh, examples from uh, from our customers, typically, you know, things like you run unsupported software or uh, your systems are let's say not optimally uh and securely configured which could include a number of things but these are not spec- necessarily specified in the policy you know uh things like uh you know would a missing patch that was released last week you know and uh, may not have led into the incident, but how do you know? Of course, you know, um, would that lead into uh, into non-payment? Uh, would necessarily, let's say, hardening of the operating system, servers, domain controllers, and all that, uh, not using the best practice, let's say, presented by Microsoft, uh, would that be sufficient cause for non-payment? Those kind of questions are not explained, uh, of course, in these documents. So the vague language and uh, simple statements by the policy uh, policy insurers uh, are effectively on, on their side because from from a simple statement an agent an investigation company can can make uh you know a potentially good case for the insurer not to pay and we all know that there is no such thing as a hundred percent security not no company not even those that have billions of pounds have all the systems fully up to date uh, fully supported and fully securely configured um, and then of course all the people properly tested it you know there's always you know percentage of, of people that will that will never get it um, so it's it's again kind of catch 22 and it's it's up to probably the business owner to to make a risk decision however and this is the problem. You know, how do they make a, uh, that risk decision? You know, and my my advice would be to look at the cyber insurance as a kind of worst case scenario. Okay, um, you you may get paid, you may not get paid. Uh, it it may be good that you have cyber insurance because it may actually help uh, alleviate some um, concerns of your customers. You know. Presenting cyber security insurance certificate on your website. Uh, yes, you are covered, like public liability and all, all those that are typically required by um, you know in, in due diligence and supplier supplier management. Uh, but I would ask business owners not to rely on the payout. You know, you basically think of the payout as a as a bonus, uh, but be prepared, have money set aside, uh, and good pol- internal processes. So. You can deal with the incident uh, without really relying on the uh, on on the payout from the insurer
0: okay and Andy
2: yeah I think it's um, another interesting question I think uh, to some extent uh, listening to what Vlad was saying it which is really interesting um, Okay, one feeling I have is it, it sounds like it's money for old rope for the, these insurers uh, to to some extent. I think that's quite um, right in what he was saying. I think that it's hard to say to an organisation, don't get insurance. I think that's a really difficult uh, thing to justify. You've really got to know what you're talking about um, to be able to say these are the reasons why it would be better for us to make that risk decision. Um, I think it's because... I think because cyber insurance is, is still relatively new, um, but insurance isn't. So everyone understands insurance. And so it's that kind of sense of a safety blanket that people have. And I think it's very hard to, to rip that away and say, well, in this case, in cyber, that thing that you're reading about all the time about these big incidents, and how damaging they are. Yeah, in this case, actually, we don't want insurance. I think that's really a, a really hard thing to do. But the insurers—it just seems to be all in their favour. Uh, again, going back to one of the examples I talked about in um, patching um, and 100% security. It's you know most of us work in a, a world where you know at best we're doing some risk-based management. We we know that there are gaps in our security. We know we're never going to have patching up to 100%. We've probably got some legacy systems hanging around that may not even be supported anymore. And in in the I suppose in the real world we manage those risks. Sometimes that works well, sometimes it doesn't work well. Um, But even if you're doing everything right, um, it just takes one person clicking on link, one person setting a weak password, and you can get these these gaps, these vulnerabilities which are exploited. And it just seems it's very easy for an insurer to say, here's my my list, this is is the perfect world, this is what every organisation should be doing. If you don't do one of them, we're not going to pay. And it it feels like it's it's getting more difficult to um be in a position where you will benefit from the cyber insurance. But at the same time, going back to the catch twenty two situation i I would really I would find it really hard to go to an organization and say, "No, I really think you shouldn't have that insurance." i think, and going back to the original question about what should business kind of I think the question was about business owners, but what should businesses do? I think there needs to be. We really need to to get a better understanding of cyber insurance. Um, I feel, you know, I must. Um, in the last few places I've worked, people have come to me and said, "Do you think we should get cyber insurance?" And I feel really um, inex- under, ex- and inexperienced, under-informed um, to make to to make a really sensible um, judgment on that. Um, you know, most areas, of information security, I feel much much more confident about. Um, but because of the nature of the insurance. So unless you've been through some major breaches, you're not really going to have that that first hand experience. Um, and I think even if you were to read all the clauses in a particular policy, um, I think it, it would be so easy for that to be written in a way um, that you don't really know what, what it's asking for. Uh, for example, with patching, um, they might have something that's slightly vague, um, and when it comes down to it, it would be so easy to say, "Well, you haven't that that one device over there that was missing one of these critical security patches." It's really hard in everyday operation of a system of a um, organization to make sure everything is up to date. And so I think it's, I think probably it's it's about maybe insurers being better at explaining what cyber insurance is, what the benefits are, but also possibly that people, for example, in my position. Um, information security teams, um, we need to um, probably go out and get some training and 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 work at this and and get a better understanding so we can give better advice. Um, it seems you know, kind of moving on logically from that. It still seems, seems strange to me that we could ever be in a position where we cyber insurance offers as a, exists as a product, but we might actually say no. I mean, other than kind of extreme cases where you are a very small business and the premiums are too high, but any kind of medium sized business and upwards should be getting cyber insurance if if the product's right, it just doesn't feel like maybe the product is understood. Is it right? I don't really understand that at the moment. Okay, great and Lee.
1: I think good points, uh, Andrew and 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 Vlad there. Um, I know I know from from my experience, that it's a tough one, cyber insurance. You tend to spend a lot of time, um, or or certain people within your business, shall we say, um, will spend a lot of time looking at this. And this can be anything between two and three months looking at potential providers. Um, I've seen providers where, or seen um, agreements that have been been brought in from, from cyber insurers where your list of inclusions is three pages and your list of exclusions is seven pages. Um, which seems a bit unfair, really, um, but I think I think Andrew's made a good point that um, a lot of people in the in the kind of infosec industry are kind of detached a bit um, from the cyber insurance, the the kind of legalities and, and things like that 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 business might face. Um, so I think definitely you need to have somebody either within the business or or a third party that you work with um, to get good legal advice. Uh, and review these kind of contracts um because at the end of the day the insurers had these written by 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 a law firm so why not get another law firm to actually review and see what's in there maybe maybe argue some of the clauses um I've seen that done and some clauses removed uh, review it work with a work with kind of a knowledgeable broker um so don't just work with insurer direct actually speak to brokers who are dealing with this kind of thing they have doubt and might be able to suggest you know, which insurers might be the best fit for your business, which insurers in their in their um, experience will pay out, which ones won't pay out, or the reasons that they've had customers which may not have had successful payouts. And then I think that's where the legal aspect of it is. And then there's obviously the technical aspect as well um, from, from a business point of view is the business owners don't understand the legalities of things they don't understand necessarily the technical aspects of of, of cyber and, and why should they it's not it's not their thing to understand so i think it's our responsibility to explain that to the board um what these terms actually mean what that actually what actually is patching um some of them might not know what patching is um what kind of what kind of training we need to do what kind of policies procedures we need to have in place Um, what standards we might need to have and adhere to, what regulations we might need to adhere to um, and how best to how best to achieve that um, and turn that into into a business risk um, and business language, which then hopefully ties up with what the legal review has come back with. And I think the most important thing is, is don't leave it to a week before your renewal or a few days before your renewal actually go out there two three months before and actually spend time talking to brokers talking to different insurers get in uh quotations get in policies for review of what's included and what's not included and then see what's the best for you price wise and what is best coverage wise and as i said try and find out from a broker or from speaking to other people at business events um both both ourselves as, as security people and and as you know board of directors things like that which insurers are the insurers which are 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 playing fair um, and are paying out or are at least helping and covering when there is an incident that you've got to deal with
0: okay brilliant so thank you to all for putting forward your questions we'll now end with yusuf's question which is centered around supporting smes so with hardening of the cyber insurance market what should smes use their limited financial investment for cyber insurance or investment in cyber security do companies understand the balance point between the two, and who's helping them understand an immature market? So, Vlad, would you like to start us off discussing Yusuf's question, please?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got my take. Um, of course, being a cyber security company and provider of services, uh, I might be a little bit uh, skewed in, in my judgment, but you know, uh, only slightly. <laughs> uh, but hopefully, that's sensible. I mean, the first, uh, you know, port of a- call of action. For in any area that you know, directors need to have a let's say view where they are, what the current status is. Is to do an assessment. You know, you cannot move forward unless an assessment is done. Uh, and so my kind of first, if they have limited budget, do the assessment uh, compared to say cyber essentials or CIS Top 20 or you know other. Uh, other standards in the in the uk the ncse is really good at providing uh great documentation what a business should be doing you know from the directors and you know even the board of uh, board of directors all the way down so that's a great way to get a feel where the organization is, and doesn't need to cost you know thousands. You know it, it might be hundreds, and in most cases it could be you know if it's a small organization even be done uh, internally um, with some with some help uh, of the open source tools if necessary. Okay, uh, then after this assessment, uh, ideally fix the severe gaps first. And typically, what I've seen would be uh, fix the people. <laughs> I mean, it sounds strange, but uh, effectively train them so most of the cyber uh, breaches start with someone in the organization uh, doing something that they shouldn't have not maliciously but just simply because they didn't know uh, so spend a little bit of money or effort uh, on training people then you know do an update all the software uh, to, ideally to the teeth as much as possible. And in small, perhaps medium organization, it may not be that difficult. Uh, You know, the the bigger organization obviously uh, it's more it gets more complex and uh, maybe maybe costly. But if we are talking about SMEs, then uh, it again doesn't need to cost that much. Then I would suggest get something like Cyber Essentials or even Cyber Essentials Plus certificate. Because that will actually be a question by the insurers whether you have it or not, and that may actually influence the cost of the premium. Uh, of course, it's also evidence to your suppliers and clients, so it, it helps in both cases. And then, uh, you know, depending on the on the overall assessment, you know, where you are uh, with the with the state of your security, uh, get at least the initial, so-called initial cover. So at least you have something, um, because. Uh, I agree with Andy, it it, it is hard not to to recommend not to have the cyber insurance. Uh, So start somewhere and then uh, the most likely the premium is going to be higher. But if you get that cyber insurance certificate, it might be slightly lowered. Next year, it will most likely stay the same. However, during that year, you might spend your uh, spare money that you've set aside to further improve cyber security uh, and uh, hence potentially the premium might might go down or at least stay the same in the inflation uh, market
2: thanks for that, Vlad and Andy yeah um I think it's um it's gonna depend which is an easy answer um I'm looking forward to the, whenever um a guide to introducing information security is written for every organization that would be really nice um but in i think in reality it, every organization is different and it will make a um it will depend on where they are on that journey i think one one of the things that comes to mind is that the risk is greater so if you if you if you are at the beginning of your your journey to introduce controls the risk is greater to your organization of something going wrong of of an incident being uh affecting the organization and so there might be an argument for having that in cyber insurance in place, first of all, and then maybe as you become more mature in your approach, as you introduce more controls, it might be uh, the decision might be more difficult, I suppose, then to, to whether you drop that or not, whereas at the beginning it might be a really easy decision that you've you've got nothing um, and so you stick it in. But of course, the money you spend on that is not being spent on improving your controls um, introducing training, all of the good th- good things that you can do. So I think it's a it, it's a difficult decision, but it, it will come down to the risk appetite of the organisation. Um, if they feel comfortable uh, investing, um, as Vlad was saying, uh, maybe get someone in to do a little bit of an assessment, aim for one of those uh, standards like Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus, which might be slightly more achievable for organisations than, say, full-on 27,001. Um, you know, again, it comes down to understanding the, the benefits of cyber insurance. Um, that might be something as simple as I think someone mentioned it before, sticking it on your website to give people a sense of assurance that you do know what you're doing and you do take security se- uh, seriously. There might not be a, a great deal of real benefit to you. You might not get the payout, but it, it could have a benefit in it. It shows that you are taking it seriously. Um, so I think it really is that, that down to that risk management, how you how you approach it from the organization. Um, what's important? Do you want to get a badge um, and you're kind of quite happy with that and you just stick with it? Um, not really invest in 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 cyber security so much or whether you really want to go, you know, put the limited re- resources you have into getting um, the best controls you can as quickly as possible. And cyber insurance it will fit into that in some way at some point. Um, which is a bit of a an easy answer because it is a, it is very much i think it it depends
0: okay thanks andy and finally lee i think all good i
1: think all good points um it's a balance i mean it was under the question do the companies understand the balance point and is it is a kind of a balancing act um depending on the size of the company and I, I i agree an assessment needs to be done of the risks a particular kind of business face because every business is slightly different um, it'll depend very much on what kind of information they're holding. Are they holding a lot of personal information or not? Um, that could be you know the decision between you know do we do cyber insurance, do we do do cyber controls? Um, there's a mixture obviously. you can look at obviously technical controls, policies, procedural changes. Um, procedural changes doesn't cost you very much or, or anything at all um, such as how you do your banking, how you do transactions, your payments, things like that um cyber insurance is always as, as we've said earlier on is always seen as kind of a safety net um i think vlad mentioned uh, cyber essentials there and i think within the uk there are certain um uh certification bodies for that who if you do cyber essentials with them you get some kind of minimal cyber insurance liability we sh- shall we say i think the amounts aren't great about twenty-five thousand, thirty thousand 30000 are figures i've seen it's not great but for a small business that, that could be a help. Um, cyber Essentials, again, doesn't cost too much to do. You're doing your controls within that. So, you know, there's kind of five pillars of that which give you the controls. You get a bit of insurance out of that as part of that, uh, which might help you out. But I think uh, the, 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 the market is immature. But the problem we, I think we face generally is is that it's not just cyber insurance, which is going up. Uh, and indemnity insurance is going up um insurers are getting pushed from all sides um you know we had furlough we had COVID, we had all these other things which have impact on the insurers outside of cyber um so all types of policies and premiums are going up um and i think at some point that might put the policies uh, or the, the the premiums out of the reach of some of the smes um and that'll take the decision away from them anyway uh, where they'll have to look at how do we implement controls um and then obviously there's this as we see in the press every day, there's the, the cost of living, there's the cost of, of, of business running businesses generally in terms of cost of electricity and, and other things like that. So I think it's going to be a hard time for for, for, for SMEs and I think cyber insurance, uh, although that's our a, a, a topic today, might be one of the things which is put on the back burner because of the rest of the things which are going on globally at the moment.
0: Yeah, thanks Lee. Some really good insights. Hopefully you've all enjoyed today's conversation. I'd like to thank each one of you for joining me today outside your busy schedules to come together and have a great conversation around such an important topic for most businesses as they look to grow. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, This has been the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Thank you for listening.